Welcome to the Mission Church Podcast. It's our prayer that this teaching equips you in your desire to grow and encourages movement in your life. Uh, good to be with you guys today. Last couple weeks I've been uh, off from preaching be, because I'd like to preach to you for a really long time. Uh, and so that's why I get a little rest every now and again. In 2007, I, I, felt, I felt something I'd never felt before. I was in the city of Johannesburg, South Africa. A show of hands, any of you ever heard of it even? Yeah, a few of us have heard of it. And um, we're about an hour outside of the city limits. It was dusk. Uh, I was inside of a Jeep. And I was in uh, one of their most famous game reserves. And out of nowhere, I heard the roar of a male lion. No response. I mean, I'm going, I'll keep going. It gets better. <laughs> At least I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. It was about to get dark, about 30 minutes after that. And all of a sudden, coming out from the brush, 20 feet from my Jeep, was this male lion. <laughs> you guys are so good. I missed you guys. Now, here's what happened. His presence did something to me that his roar didn't. When I've explained this encounter to people, the best way I can explain it is when I saw him, he didn't have to say anything or do anything to let us all know that he was the king. I knew it, and he knew it. I mean, this marked me. When I explain this story to people, I say in that moment when he came out of the brush, my bones were cold. It's the first and last time I've experienced this. I had fear of him, and I was afraid of him, both at the same time. I told this story to my buddy Jason in the, in the fourth row over there, and it was a couple years after that. You sent me this article, because I was telling you how amazing it was, about this guy known of as Lion Man. His name is Kevin Richardson. Uh, he's a South African. And he not only looks at lions, but he lived with wild lions. I brought a picture of this. All right, this is not a Brookfield Zoo domesticated lion. <laughs> Unbelievable. And I saw this and I read this and I was so stunned because I've been in the presence of a wild, real, South African lion. It brought me to this conclusion. To fear something and to be afraid of something are not entirely the same thing. The difference is in your relationship to them or their relationship to you. I'm read it again. I want you to kind of just keep this thought in your mind today. To fear something and to be afraid of something are not entirely the same thing. The difference is in your relationship to them or their relationship to you. Why do I bring this up? Here's why I bring this up. The question today isn't do we fear something or someone. Here is the question that is going to interrupt your Sunday. Do you fear God? Do you fear God? Like, do you really fear God? Do we fear God? And by fear, here's what I mean. Who or what are you in awe of? Who or what are you desiring to please above all else? Who or what are you falling at the feet of? 
these days? Who or what are you giving yourself to completely? The answer to those questions will tell you who or what you truly fear. Do you fear God? Acts 4.32 is where I'll begin today. It starts like this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, not just around them, but in them all, that there was no needy persons among them. Need in their community was eradicated because of these things. This is unbelievable. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I mean, this is amazing. There was an outpouring of generosity, and there wasn't a capital campaign that they were in the middle of. No one told them to do this. This is what just hit me this last week. No one asked them to do it, and this is what they're doing. Verse 36, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, one of my heroes of the faith. His name means son of encouragement, and five other times in the book of Acts we'll see him. Live that out in many ways. What did he do? Verse 37, he sold a field that he owned that no one asked him to sell. And what did he do? He brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is unbelievable what God is doing. It says this in chapter 5, verse 1, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So oftentimes, because how the Bible is organized these days, we read chapter 4 and put it away. Maybe we will pick it back up and start reading chapter 5. But I think these two are joined for a reason. You see, when we read chapter 4 right into chapter 5, and if we stop reading right there, here's what we say. Oh my goodness, it's happening again. This is Barnabas' generosity part 2. Barnabas did this, and it's catching on. I mean, look at what is happening among the people of God in the early church. Here comes Ananias and his wife Sapphira. How about that name, right? And what do they do? They do the same exact thing. Or do they? Now, here's what we know. Deceitfulness is really hard to discern. Unless you're God. From the outside looking in, If you and I were there, we would have been watching this situation and we would have said it is the same exact thing. Yet, God sees it all. He sees it all. Verse 2 begins to help us understand that this was actually a very different thing. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias... How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? You can lie to the Holy Spirit, by the way. And have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Verse 4, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Meaning, why are you even doing this? Like, what is your motive? We didn't ask you to do this. Like, what is driving you really? This is what he's getting at. All right? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not, listen, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. I know, right? That's what I'm thinking. And usually, right now is when we just quickly get to chapter 6. What in the world? Like, we really wanted to be part of this community until that verse. What happened? 
Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Okay, Captain Obvious here. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. Verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got from the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. What happened? Verse 11. Obviously, great fear seized the whole church and all who had heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. They all gathered together in Solomon's colonnade. Verse 13. No one else dared join them. Um, I don't want to be part of that community. You think that's bad? You should have seen what I did last week, some of them are thinking. At least he brought something. But here's what's interesting. Verse 14, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Now, today is a sermon on the fear of God. And the fear of God does a lot of things, two of which I want to emphasize today. Number one, the fear of God fuels the mission of God. The fear of God fuels the mission of God. This is so, I'll go first. This just shocked me in prep for today. Like I, I want us to think about what had fueled thus far that we've learned the mission of God, the great commission, this great commission. God's with us in it through his spirit. Moving out, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. The original fuel, the first fuel that hit him was the Spirit of God given, fell upon him, Acts chapter 2. And as we've been reading, we've been starting to wonder, will there be another kind of fuel that God will give or God will allow? And let me just say, as we're kind of reading along, wondering, like, what's the next boost? I'll just say it. I start to wonder, maybe it'll be strategy. All right? I start to wonder, you know what? It'll be better teaching. Hey, Peter's doing a good job thus far. But I think he could add a little more humor. He's been a little rough, right? Better preaching. That's what it's going to be. Preaching can always get better. That's what's going to really fuel the mission of God forward. Right, maybe it's that. Or maybe they need a worship album. That's what it is. They're going to do a worship album. Acts chapter 5. It's going to be a worship album. They're going to go on tour. It's going to be amazing. That's what they're going to do. No, they're going to do a bake sale, and they're going to give all the money back. It's going to be an outreach. Right, these are the thoughts that come to my mind on how God might fuel his mission forward. Yet in chapter 5, we are stunned to see that those are good things, but that not is the thing that God actually used to fuel the mission forward. What does he do? What does he use as fuel? Answer, the fear of God. It's not how I would have drawn it up. Just shocked. Great fear seized the whole church. The point of this passage isn't around giving it's about the fear of God. We begin to see that's what fuels the mission forward. The fear of God multiplied the church. This was a shocking growth strategy. You will be hard-pressed to find any church growth books out there on the fear of God. I'm just going to say it. Hard to find them. If you're John and the others that are in leadership and you see Ananias laid out, getting buried, you're thinking, uh, it's over. Who's going to want to be part of this now? I mean, was it really that bad what he did? You're thinking this is it, yet this is actually what moved the church forward. So counterintuitive. 
Yet here's what's fascinating to me. As you begin to study revivals like this one in church movements like they had, that have taken place since this moment, study it, I've done the work, here's what you're going to find. At the center of all of them, that one and every one since, you know what you find? The same thing. You find the same exact thing. The fear of God is a central piece. Study revivals, other church movements that have taken place since this one, you will see an unprecedented conviction of sin. You will see worship and prayer that won't stop. They could not fit it into a 60-minute worship service. You're going to see mass conversions. You will see evangelism off the charts. You will also see a renewed desire for holiness. All those things I just read are so important, but they are all symptoms of one thing. They're byproducts of the fear of God. There's a pastor I like to listen to, a really good preacher. Recently he told of this story where a couple years ago he was down in Brazil and he was preaching to a group of 12,000 church leaders that were all part of the same network. And so he goes down there to Brazil and he, he speaks. They filled an arena, it was like the size of Sears Center. And the sermon went really great, it was amazing, but he was really struck by just like how many church pastors were all part of the same church network down in Brazil. And so the next day, he was able to go out to lunch with some of those in leadership of this church, and he had so many questions. And one of the questions that he asked them over lunch was, um, so if you add it all up, like how many people are part of like this church movement thing? And they said, well, we're just over 300,000 now. Like that's a lot of people, by the way, okay? And then he asked them, okay, um, how long have you guys been at this? They said, oh, 16 years ago we started this with one family. Now, we're Americans and we're hard to impress, okay? That's a big deal. 16 years, over 300,000 people, and you've never even heard of this movement before, neither had I. And this American pastor is blown away, and he asks them the American question. How? Right? That's what I always ask. How'd you do it? Man? Is it like three steps? Is there a book on it? Is there a PowerPoint? How do I do it? Right? How do we do it? And their response to him absolutely took his breath away. They said, you know how? Down here we preach differently than how you guys preach up there. He said, down here, you know what we preach on the most? The judgment seat of Christ. You see, our people down here they don't live with a 50 to 70 year lens. They live with eternity on their mind. This is what C.S. Lewis was getting at. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. The fear of God will fix your eyes on eternity. The fear of God will say, listen, evaluation day is coming. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to stand there. I'm going to stand there and give an account, not in or out. No, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm wonderfully saved. But I'm going to give an account on what I did with what he gave me. And I'm telling you, I can't, I can't communicate what that is doing to me these days. 
This is so real. That day is coming. And when you live with the fear of God, it, it fuels the mission of God. I mean, this, this is Paul. I've fought the good fight, he said. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I'm in that last sentence. Chapter 5, we see the fear of God fuel the mission of God. In chapter 9, we just see it only accelerate. Listen to this from chapter 9. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This, I've never seen this before. I think this is the flywheel. I think this is the two things. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What happened? It was multiplied. The fear of God fuels the mission of God. Secondly, the fear of God forms the people of God. The fear of God forms us. It shapes us. It sculpts us. It breaks us down. And then it builds us back up. The fear of God forms the people of God in so many ways. I only have time to touch on two of these. Number one, follow the smoke. Say that with me. Follow the smoke. Now, I want you to imagine. Some of you have a house. You worked hard to buy that house, right? You love that house. If there is smoke when you get home from church today, you're not going to just be like, ah, it's just you know, it's a little bit of smoke. What are you going to do? Because of your great love for what you have, you're going to follow that smoke to find the fire. When we have the fear of God within us, we will follow the smoke to find the fire. When we have the fear of God, what does it do? It creates an intrinsic desire to follow the smoke of my situation to identify the fire of my sin. I mean, this is big stuff. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. Think of the situation they got themselves into. Their situation, right? It was symptomatic of a much deeper problem. The point here isn't just deceit. The point here isn't just like, really give all your money. What was going on with them, I mean, there was smoke. And it was symptomatic of a much deeper problem. Follow the smoke. The smoke was deceit, but the fire was the love of money and the praise of people. Sin, here's what I know. It's always coming from a different place. The situations that you are continually trying to overcome, bondage, these difficulties, it's coming from a different place. Follow the smoke. The fear of God moves me to find out where the smoke is coming from. We get to the source. Guys, I... God is doing some fresh things in my life. Um, it's the fear of God. I mean, that's really what's going on. And it is causing me to follow the smoke. Not like I'm living this life of sin, not, not even close, but my passion for holiness. You're not my standard. I'm not comparing my life to how you're living your life. Jesus is my standard. Amen. Like, I, I'm looking at him, and I'm seeing his purity, and I'm seeing just... Him. You know, and I'm wrestling with these words. He says, you know, you, you got to just be holy as I'm holy. The New Testament, grace, it doesn't lower the bar. It doesn't give us a hall pass to do whatever we want to do. How long are we going to confuse his patience with his acceptance? I mean, this is chapter five, not chapter two. God doesn't come out of the gate and do this to Ananias and Sapphira. He was patient with us. His kindness leads us to repentance, but I promise you a day is coming. 
in that moment, why I'm not totally sure, but they experienced what they were gonna experience in that moment. Follow the smoke. Find the fire. Find the source. Here's what I know. There's a lot of smoke in here today. There just is. Why? Because there's a lot of people in here. The smoke of people pleasing. I've dealt with that one too. How about flying off the handle? And now we don't see it in here, but behind closed doors with your family. How about the smoke of pornography? Some of you just woke up. He said pornography. Yeah. I mean, it's just destroying so many people's lives. I should preach on it way more than I do. If your kids are in here today, this will create an interesting conversation on the way home from church. And when are you, you going to get to the fire? It's smoke. When are you going to get to the fire of it? How about this? The smoke of being seen by others as the man. You know. The smoke of control. Anyone? Okay. The smoke of selfish ambition. The smoke of having sex with someone that isn't your spouse. Right? Andy Stanley said, we normalize everything these days so we don't have to feel bad about anything. Now, we live together because it's for economic reasons. Really? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, tune me out right now. Don't, you, don't have, you do not need to listen to me. If you're a follower of Jesus, though, we're, called to, we're just called to something different. I want you to follow the smoke. Why? Is God powering up on you or is there freedom for you? The smoke of your need to be needed. Man, this is a tough one. How about shame? Oftentimes you follow smoke, you're going to get to that, by the way. The smoke of your unwillingness to release your money to things that really matter. The smoke of medicating and numbing with alcohol. But John, I mean, everyone drinks around here. I mean, like, you know, I have, you know, six to eight or 12, and it's just like, it's just so common. I mean, my whole family, if you knew them, all I'm asking is, is there smoke? And if there's smoke, there's fire. What if the fear of God became so real in your heart right now that you said, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to get all the help I need. I'm going to find the fire. I would have bet you a million dollars. I knew this was happening. Before I got up here, I knew in this moment right now there's going to be interruption in here. I knew it. What is that? I mean, they're not. I mean, they have a legit cough. I don't want you to miss this. And I'm going long and I don't care. Here's what I know. When you follow the smoke, you rarely can follow the smoke on your own. You need help. Oh, gosh, you need so much help. Listen, I get more help than you could ever imagine. I've been meeting with a counselor, a Christian counselor for years. I just got a new one a month ago. And this guy is just, I mean, he's helping me. Far too long in evangelical churches, Christian counseling has been like code for you're a complete basket case. And Satan has used that to keep so many people, so many believers in sin, just broken. Like, we're not that church. We've never been that church. I've always said we're not that church. Like, the amount of help we get, our entire staff gets. Why? We want to follow the smoke. And it just fires me up. Would you get the help you need? 
And that's Christian community, that's brothers and sisters around you, and it's trained professionals that love Jesus and want to see you get free. We'll help you. We'll pay for most of it, at least some of it. And I got half the message I still got to preach. This is just... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you've been here, you guys just know I love you a lot. I really... I do. You're so easy to love. I just want you to be free. The fear of God really helps us follow the smoke. What else does it do? It helps us with fast obedience. I heard this first from Erwin McManus, a pastor in LA. It's one of my favorite terms. Fast obedience. Here's how I define it. Fast obedience is measured by the distance of God speaking and you obeying. The fear of God accelerates your obedience. Think about it. God speaking. I mean, he's like, all right. It's been a little while. Spoke a while ago to him about that thing. God is so patient. He's so kind. He's like, you know, kind of nudges you, reminds you, hey, that thing. You know that we're in Chicago. That thing. That thing. And he's here. And for some of you, he's using a sundial. It's been like three decades. What is the distance between when God speaks and you say yes? It's so simple, yet so powerful. God has spoken. How long is it taking us to respond? 1942, there was a school teacher. And no one asked her to do this, but she got so moved by the stuff I'm talking about today that she made a vow to God. Her vow to God. She had no idea what this would do. Her vow to God was it's so simple. It was this. I will say yes to your bidding without delay. Hashtag fast obedience. God, you can count on me. I'll have fast obedience. Years later, the world knows who that former school teacher is, Mother Teresa. I can only imagine what he wants to do in your life just by not refusing him, by saying yes without delay. This, this Wednesday night, I'm taking my, my neighbors to a Cubs game. I won't be at week one of formation. I'll be at week two. I try to do this every year with my neighbors. Love these guys. Have a lot of fun. And so we're going to the Cubs game on Wednesday night, and I want to tell you what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to get into the stadium. We're going to be sitting there. And we're going to look down the third base line, and we're going to see Brian Butterfield. I actually brought a picture of him. You don't know who he is. He's the third base coach. His first year as our third base coach. And we're going to look down there, and we're going to see Brian Butterfield wearing that funny-looking helmet, right? And here's what's going to happen. A Chicago Cub, a beloved Cub, if I will, is going to enter the box like this, or this bat. He's going to step out of the box. You know what he's going to do? He's going to look down the line. And he's going to look to his third base coach. What's he going to see? Here's what he's going to see. It's just like this. Right here. Let me do that again. All right? Some of you weren't, weren't a baseball player. Right here. All right? What, what is this? Has he got itch? Is he itching? Is he, what, what's going on? What is this? He's given him the sign. He's signaling to the player, not the coach, not the owner, what you're supposed to do. Well, what is his job? To do what he said to do. Right? I mean, this is so simple. He gets the signal, he gets in the box, and he does it. He does it. Now, I want you to imagine something that will not happen this Wednesday night. I want you to imagine the game being on the line. And it's not going to happen because we're playing the Reds. We're going to blow them up. But I want you to imagine that the game is on the line. It's tied. 
bottom of the ninth inning, and we get a runner on first base. And who walks up to the box? Chris Bryant. Last service, a girl went, woo! Anyway, um, (laughs) safe place. Chris walks up to the box, and I want you to imagine this. Chris Bryant getting into the box, game of line, guy on first, and him looking down there, and he gets this sign, and it's a bunt sign. And Chris says, does he not know who I am? I'm Chris Bryant. I don't bunt. I'm not bunting. I'm doing what I want. In fact, here's what I'm going to do. I want you to imagine Chris Bryant in that moment putting his back to the coach and facing the stadium and just saying, hey, crowd, you guys all paid a whole bunch of money to come here to watch me play. I'm going to ask you, what do you think I should do? My coach down here thinks I should bunt. What do y'all think I should do? And in that moment, the crowd goes, no, do not bunt. They say back to him, Chris, swing for the fence. We came to watch you swing for the fence. And Chris says, well, there's more of them than him. I'm going to swing for the fence. Here's what I know. Some of you, that is your life. It's your life. I mean, you're on the team. You're forgiven. But your back is to the coach. You're saying, don't you know who I am? I'm going to ask them what they want me to do. And I'm going to do what I want to do. And here's what I know. The cure for that is the fear of God. One of the best moments in baseball is when they listen to the coach and that guy comes around second and he's moving towards third and what is that third base coach doing? He's the happiest guy in the whole stadium. He's doing this, baby. He is waving you to home. That's God. He wants to wave you to home. The fear of God is going to get us there. I'm going to finish with this story. It happened in 2017. I spent 40 hours about this week on this sermon. Most I've ever spent on one sermon in my life. This is so hard to try to communicate to you guys. And God reminded me of this story. In fact, he gave me this picture. It was 2017. I was up in Quetico. You've heard me talk about it. A million square miles, a thousand lakes. My annual adventure. And it was last year exactly this time. I'm out in the middle of this lake with three of my, two other of my buddies were in a canoe. We're fishing. I mean, we are catching so many fish. It was so fun. And I look up and I see this front coming. But the way the wind is moving, like, it's, it's going to miss us. You know, and I look back at my maps, and I know my maps really well up there. I'm like, no, nah, I think it's going to go over to that. Like, I think, I think we're good. We go back to fishing. And the wind picks up a little bit, and I, I kind of look up again, and I had this sense that we're about to be in trouble if we don't get out of here. And, and I told the guys who were holding these long uh, lightning rods known as fishing poles, <laughs> I, I said, put those down and pick up the paddle. We got to start paddling. Something's telling me, guys, you, guys we, we got to get to safety. And so we start paddling, just kind of casually. And soon, we come around this bend. And in that moment, we could really see it. It was a storm unlike anything I'd ever seen in my life. The sky was black. And it was barreling down on us. The wind and the waves were picking up. And in that moment, I start yelling at these guys. Guys, paddle! 
paddle harder. We're in trouble. you got to paddle harder. I'm telling you guys, I don't know what that is, but it is terrible. I want to tell you in that moment, both fear and I was afraid, both. And we start paddling with everything that we have to Sunday Island. Of all the names, that is the name of the island. Because I knew there in the island, I know it like I know my own living room, there's these huge cedars that we can get underneath and be safe. And we were paddling with everything that we have. And we reached the shore as this storm hits. We thought it was a tornado. The fury, I cannot even begin to describe to you. And we rush into the woods, and I grab the guys, and there we huddle up together in our hiding place. Safe. Why do I say that? That is a picture of what the fear of God means to me. If you are a follower of Jesus today, I want you to hear this. Fear God, but do not be afraid. Why? Jesus is your hiding place. Fear God. What do I mean? You are there in your hiding place, and you look out and you appreciate with awe and wonder the power that you can never overcome. And you stand there and you see it barreling down and your gratitude for the safety of your hiding place, it goes up and to the right. You're melted. In that moment, how grateful you are that you have a safe place to stand. Friends, that is the vantage point from the cross. The cross is your hiding place. It's there we look out and we see the wrath of God barreling down on mankind. This isn't preached about these days, but you have to hear me. I told God I'm not holding anything back today. Some of you, you're still out in the canoe. I'm just, I'm just begging you. The, the wrath of God, it is so real. And you should fear, and you should be afraid. But out of his loving kindness, he's made a way. And he's made a way for you. There's at least one of you, you know I'm talking to you right now, man. He's made a way. His name is Jesus. I just want you to get there and I want you to run under his shelter of his love and his grace and his mercy. It's in that moment you still fear God, but you're not afraid of God. Some of you, I want you to take communion. Because you know what I'm talking about. You remember the day you paddled for your life because of the conviction of sin and you got to your hiding place in the grace and mercy of Jesus. You've never been the same. I want you to take communion. I want you to just pour out your heart in gratitude. Others, I want today to be the day, man. I started this church for this moment. I want you, listen to me, I want you to surrender your life to Jesus while you can. Now, I want you to come up to this table and you see the bread and that reminds you of the body of Christ. You've heard this before. You dip it in the juice, that reminds you of the blood of Christ. You've heard this before. You've even taken communion before, but today is different. You understand what you've been saved from. In that place, man, I'm telling you, your heart is gonna explode with gratitude. 
Let me pray for us. And when you're ready, you can approach the communion table. Some of you, you need to wait on communion. You need to come down here and get right with God. You need to go in the back. You need to stand up and then take communion. You're free to do either of those things. God, (laughs) you know how I feel about you and, and these people we've talked a lot about today. I just, I know today's the day of salvation for some people. And it was a message on the fear of God that broke through. And others, today is the day of unprecedented gratitude or conviction of sin. They're saved, but it's like they're not set free yet. They're grieving the Spirit of God. Come and do right now, Holy Spirit of God, what I could never do. Above my pay grade, you do it. As we take communion, as we get on our face before God and weep out of the conviction of our sin, oh, you're pleased with that. I love you, God, and we love you. We thank you for your word. And I thank you for how right now you're going to be waving some people home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You might be asking, now what? Well, simply head to wearemission.com and discover where your next steps could take you.